You're listening to the Ask Drone You podcast. You ask, we answer your drone questions. Whether you're here to turn your passion into profit or you simply fly for fun, we're a community of learners and teachers who aspire to achieve greatness. We are Drone You. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us this beautiful morning, afternoon, mm-hmm. or evening. Because wherever you are, well, it's probably five o'clock somewhere else. My name is Paul. <laughs> I'm. That's probably a, no. That's not probably a fact. <laughs> yes, and I'm Rob, and uh, it's great to be here. Thank you for joining us. Uh, really, really, really appreciate it. Thanks for the questions. Astronew.com. If you have one of your own, send them in. Business. Business. Cinematography. Building traffic stuff. to your website. How to stomp on the competition without being mean. I like it. I like that one myself. Whatever's on your mind. Um, Give us a buzz. How to stomp on the competition without them even knowing it. (laughs) How to just focus on being better and not being empowered by overcoming competition. Because when your fuel is fueled by hate and anger, you're going to find that it only deteriorates you. So yeah, anyway, lots of questions still to be asked. With a thousand or more drone jobs that you can do with your drone, I'm surprised that uh, the questions have slowed down a little bit. But anyway... That brings us to today's question, Rob, and it's got me really excited. Is this the one that you said this might be the my favorite question I've ever heard? I think I said this is the most excited I've ever been to answer a question, okay. which is very similar. Similar but different. Yes. Thanks for the clarification. Uh, communication is key. Um, yes, it is. Every <laughs> word matters. <laughs> oh, sorry. Just so many personal lessons on that. Um, but what are we talking about today? Why am I excited? I am excited because the question is regarding RTK drones. And I really think the title of this show should be, Will the P4 RTK be more efficient and more accurate than a Phantom 4 Pro for drone mapping. We can shorten that later. But because essentially that's like the essence of this guy's question is, mm-hmm. you know, and I, we're going to play it, don't worry. Um, but he essentially asked the question of, do, uh, do I still need ground control? Is this going to be more accurate? So I think what I want to do is start by answering the question of what actually goes into the calculation of accuracy? Because... At certain conferences, Rob, I've seen people light themselves on fire on stage. Not literally, but figuratively. And what I mean is by making false claims that are easily proven with simple formulas. And one of those formulas we're going to go over today, which is how do you actually get accuracy? Like, like what, what are... What is accuracy based on? We're gonna talk a little bit about ground sampling distance and what are the three factors of that ground sampling distance. And then we're gonna talk about RTK and what is real RTK so you don't get caught up in the trap of some drone manufacturers saying that their drones are RTK but they're actually not RTK. And also I would like to point out about uh, essentially what ASPRS is, at least if I understand their position on this, I'm going to attempt to uh, provide uh, clarity on that, but I could be wrong on that. So uh, that being said, who are we giving free advertising to today? I want to say thanks to Daniel Herbert. Oh, And I'm sure a lot of people would be like, what the hell? (laughs) I don't know. You know what? We all need some grace. And Daniel was a phenomenal human being to me. 
and I really appreciate it. Well, and he's created a great group. I mean, that's uh, he's they crea- do some good stuff over he's there. He's created the best comedic group of all time. <laughs> well done, Rainbow Warriors. <laughs> Uh, but we all know there's only one unicorn. Anyway, you would not understand any of those jokes unless you were in that group. But um, uh, who else do I want to say thank you to? Um, mm. Paul Nordine. Hmm. Not recently, but just grateful for that guy. He really, you know, he went to the subject tracking class. He went to the mapping class and he went to the shitty version of the mapping class, not the new updated, like, ever expanding and evolving version that now picks 40s like just go to drone use class um, and i couldn't even believe i saw that in the chat room i was like whoa <laughs> so um but uh anyway long story short is he really took that close proximity training with subject tracking with the technical aspect of mapping and married it together and i think he is still running numerous teams mm. uh doing utility inspection and he's got um, the trifecta given his cinematography filmmaking background but see isn't that the perfect example yeah. of having a creative and technical totally. mindset like mm-hmm. you can and it also shows it can come from either direction because mm-hmm. he started from the creative side mm-hmm. essentially right although if you get deep into creative you've got to have some technical expertise as well exactly it's only the creatives like on YouTube that don't take it like that's let me let me take the statement back. There are some people on YouTube that take it very deep yeah. and that take it to a technical aspect. And my point in saying this is that just like as you were alluding to, the depth in which you take creativity will showcase the propensity for you to learn more technical things. For mm-hmm. example, Paul Nordine taught me, me, technical things about camera and cinematography that I had no idea on. I didn't even know that there were formulas for those things. It was a, I don't know what I don't know kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think that that's a great example also in what I just said to not speak in absolutes, but also to um, give yourself grace, give yourself a belief that you are capable of doing these things. Because let me tell you something, after, you know, training tens of thousands of drone pilots now there are literally three traits that i see that are very common in the most successful people Hmm. number one is they work harder than everyone else and honestly that doesn't take much number two very open to learn and number three they openly engage with as many people as possible they don't judge people and they just try to collect and gather as much information so that they can uh navigate through it all I would say that those are three things. And I'm sure if I like, you know, if we kind of went down that rabbit hole more that we could figure out or we could kind of isolate more traits and go oh, through sure. our data. But there's, there's a lot more traits. But and just one I would add is sort of a willingness along the way to help other people when you get the opportunity. Mm. Be willing to share your knowledge, because along the way, you are not going to get where you're going without people sharing with you. And so reciprocating that, I think, is a critical element of growth. On that, that note. note one more thank you. Mm. John Wakey. I said his name right. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Mike. Oh, I always mess this up. It's so simple. John and Mike. <laughs> yes, John and Mike. FDNY. You guys Good are day. awesome. I appreciate your persistence. Seriously. You guys have been very, very, very helpful as well. And uh, very excited to do more with them. That being said, oh man, there was another thank you I wanted to do. I guess we'll just save it for the next, next show. show. Question. Hey guys, this is Chris from North Carolina. A uh, quick question. I do mapping with ground controls and a regular Phantom 4 Pro. And the question I have is how much 
more accuracy can I gain using ground controls in RTK Bird versus just normal ground controls? Thanks. Thank you, uh, Chris. Appreciate the question. Astronew.com, if you've got a question like Chris did. This is an important question for many reasons because you want to be as accurate as possible in most mapping applications or certainly many of them. But do you need to spend the extra on the RTK birds to do so? Um, I think that that is a great question. And I think the best uh, answer to that question would come down to a viewpoint of a practical application of the equipment in relation to the workflow. So uh, because dependent on the workflow of the drone mapper, one particular drone would make a lot more sense than another particular drone. Let me give you an example uh, before I answer his question. A surveyor in Florida, low-lying area, not a lot of deviation in elevation. Okay, I give the example of Jason Danello. Thank you, sir, because a P4 RTK makes a lot of sense for them because they're doing mostly nadir missions. They are doing, you know, a lot of bare earth models. And the RTK makes a lot of sense for them because in Florida, you can get free access to the CORS network, continually operating reference station. That's what CORS stands for. Essentially, what it is are these big GPS towers out they look like cell phone towers hmm. um, out in the middle of nowhere that broadcast their known position. And you can essentially connect to them and connect to the internet so that when you pull a GPS position, the internet says you think that you're here, but based off of the known magnetic interference in your area and based off of some other errors that we are factoring for, you are actually right here. So that's what RTK GPS is, is real-time kinematic GPS. What does that mean? Real-time corrections over a network to correct a piece of equipment pulling a GPS point, hmm. okay? So RTK drones are able to essentially take the RTK information, that corrected information, and then Instead of the photos saying, I think I took this photo here, the RTK says, no, 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 you actually took the photo here. Okay. Interesting. Because so, it's connecting and it's figuring all that out. All that out in real time. Yeah. Yes. So for surveyors like Jason Danello, for him, very easy to work with the RTK because he's not really doing a lot of uh, oblique and a lot of facade data, mm -hmm. okay? So for him, the workflow is very simple. It's very easy. The P4P RTK makes a lot of sense for mm -hmm. him because it's a more efficient workflow, okay? It's also efficient because he has free access to cores. So there's a lot of towers. There's a lot of cellular coverage. It just, it really is the right environment. It makes it a no-brainer in that environment. I would agree with that statement. Now, that being said, on uh, the P4, now, oh, before I even go any further, I've talked a lot to Jason about this particular issue. And even if you are flying the P4P RTK, you are still supposed to have 
one to two GCPs just to correct the data, just to add a control, just to double check that your data is not off. Hmm. Because what a lot of people think is that the P4P RTK is this bulletproof drone that you always get, you know, one inch of accuracy. First of all, uh, unfortunately, that's a very deeply flawed thought process because there are so many things that can go wrong with the signal, the remote to the drone, the internet connection, the GPS connection. If there's water vapor in the air, there are hundreds of variables that could inhibit your drone from getting accurate RTK positioning. And even if, if I understand ASPRS, accurately, which I hope I do, and I'd love to be corrected if not. But it's my understanding that 20% of the project is still supposed to have controls. So that means that, you know, if you're not throwing out GCPs with the RTK, you have no way to control the data. If you throw out one GCP, well, you can control the data, but you can't really, if there is a large error rate, you can't control uh, relative accuracy. And relative accuracy is just saying that this point on my computer is relatively accurate to this other point that is on my computer. Hmm. That's relative accuracy. Okay. Absolute accuracy is essentially saying that this little circle inside of the Zia is located exactly in Albuquerque, New Mexico at uh, 5881 Manal um, Boulevard. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's a known position in space. Okay. Down so, to coordinate. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. So the if I understand the question accurately, the question is, can I get more accuracy by flying the P4P RTK? And I would say fundamentally or technically, it is my understanding that the answer is no, based off of the fundamental principles of how accuracy is measured. And again, I could be wrong on this, so I'm just going to say that. But here's what I understand. Your accuracy of any of your drone maps are only as good as a multiple of your ground sampling distance. Let me say that one more time. Your accuracy is only as good as a multiple, typically one or two X of whatever your GSD is. So GSD, ground sampling distance, that's like the resolution or a great analogy is when you buy a camera, it has a resolution 20, 40, 60, 100 megapixels, right? Mm -hmm. Your ground sampling distance is similar to, but not exactly like uh, the resolution of your camera. Okay, ground sampling distance, right? If you, like, let's say that you're looking at a satellite image from Google Earth and you zoom all the way in, that is a typically 25 to 30 centimeter ground sampling distance. So if you wanted to make measurements from satellite imagery, just know that at a 25 centimeter ground sampling distance, that all of your measurements are going to be good to plus or minus 50 centimeters. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you could also argue that it's good to plus or minus 20 to 50 centimeters, depending on how you go about the algorithm. That being said, if let's say that we have a drone like a Phantom 4 Pro and or a Phantom 4 Pro RTK, and let's say that we fly them both at 100 feet in elevation, mm -hmm. typically this would give you approximately and dependent on two other factors, a let's say 
approximately a half an inch of ground sampling distance, okay? Okay. Well, there's 2.54 centimeters per inch. So at a half an inch, we're looking at about uh, 1.28 millimeter or 1.28 centimeters. So our ground sampling distance at, let's just, for example sake, let's say at 100 feet in elevation, that for example sake, we are going to get one centimeter of ground sampling distance, okay? okay. You are not going to get more accurate than your ground sampling distance. Even if your GPS is to millimeter grade, it doesn't matter because the resolution of the image that you're taking is fixed, mm -hmm. right? And ground sampling distance is a factor of three variables, right? So we've got the size of the sensor. That's the first variable. The altitude in which we fly the sensor, that's the second variable. And the third variable is the focal length of the sensor to the lens entry point. Okay. That's the focal length, okay? Mm -hmm. Those three factors. So, for example, if I had a Phantom 4 Pro with, um, say, a 50 millimeter lens on it, which takes my field of view from, say, like 130 degrees down to, like, maybe 80 degrees, my ground sampling distance would, I'd have better accuracy and a lower ground sampling distance, say, like, maybe five millimeters, right? So... Because the cameras are identical and they're the exact same and the GSD is measured from the exact same principles, it is my opinion that you are not going to get a more accurate map from one aircraft to the other hmm. with the understanding that you've followed all of the rules of acquisition and processing for both aircraft. So I also want to caveat that I'm assuming that if we're flying a Phantom 4 Pro, that we are using ground control points. So a lot of Which was part of his question. Yes. So. And, and you have to use ground control points for precision mapping. No questions asked. And I can't believe that we put out podcasts years ago saying you don't need GCPs um, to do certain things. And while there's some truth to that, it's not all correct. Um, and that's a podcast I'd like to take down. But that being said, the P4P RTK is more efficient in workflow for people doing surveys, for people doing large areas, and especially people doing large areas because... If you have to lay out 10, 15, 20 GCPs, you kind of negate a lot of the efficiency gained in doing drone mapping. And this is why a lot of people are using the P4P RTK. Mm -hmm. But the people that I respect in precision cartography, if they are using a P4P RTK, which most of them are not, then they are also using ground control points. Let me, re let me rephrase that one more time. Of the people that I respect in the precision engineering surveying industries, they are always using ground control points when flying the P4P RTK, even though most of the people that I know in those industries actually choose to not use the P4P RTK. Why? Hmm. The P4P does not have limitations in what applications that you can use. It does not have limitations in the type of GPS that you can use. And it does not have limitations in the acquisition strategies that can be utilized on the drone. So here's hmm. what I'm saying. P4P RTK actually has less acquisition methods than a P4P. Interesting. Because you're now using a fix or a float 
RTK signal. And whenever you're flying uh, for facade data, it's typically a float. Thus is pretty much meaningless in my book. I would rather just merge two projects together and tie them down to the bare earth model with GCPs. So then I go back to, okay, well then it still seems like it's more efficient to just use a P4P unless I'm mapping large areas, unless I'm doing pretty much just survey work, unless I'm doing bare earth models. Because if you want to produce 3D textured meshes or 3D models in high level of detail, you don't need GCPs, okay? But typically those 3D models are being used for visualizations and not for measurements, Right. okay? So... And this is something, uh, I actually just recently did a very complex 3D model that took the most work I've ever put into a single model. And I'm very proud of it. And I was also stunned when the contractor in the city of Denver were like, yeah, we, we don't need GCPs. We just want a model. We don't want a map. We have surveyors for that. And like the level of respect that I had for those two different entities is just like off the charts. Because <laughs> it's like you realize where people uh, where their strengths are yeah, and you utilize people in just their strengths, which allows, you know, more people to service that group. But at the same time, and that's all super helpful information. Um, at the same time, if they didn't sort of give you that mandate of don't worry about GCPs, we've got people to deal with that part of this project. Would you tell people, well, go ahead and lay out your GCPs? Cause you never know what that model might be needed for down the road. And you're in to have to go back out there. You are Why a smart not throw man. Them down? You are a smart man. <laughs> you are very smart. A hundred percent. Yes, 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 yes. But for other reasons as well. So I agree with you 100% that it's always a good idea to lay out GCPs, whether you're going to pull GPS from the targets or not. Mm -hmm. It's a great idea to just put them out there. Here's why, right? You can use your GCP pads. We call them landing pads or mapping landing pads because to clarify ground control points, or GCPs are two parts, target and GPS, okay? You have to see the target from the air, but you have to be able to mark that target with a known point. So Rob asked the question, is it a good idea if we still lay down the GCP targets, even if we're not going to pull points from those GCP targets? The answer is yes, and for three reasons. Reason number one is if you have highly oblique facade data and you're having difficulty merging or aligning projects or models together, using the MTPs greatly increases the accuracy of aligning the data together when you have complex data sets. That's reason number one, why you still want to lay out those pads. Reason number two, why you still want to lay out those pads. What if the client calls you and says exactly what you just said, where, you know what, we would actually like to try to take some measurements from this. And you're like, Oh no. You know, like, don't do that. Like, uh, honey, I'm going back to Denver. Yeah. See you, <laughs> see you later. Um, well, there's another way to stop this problem as well, and I want to go into that. Um, third point of why you always want to lay out those GCP targets, and also I want to caveat this, you always want to lay out GCP targets where there are defined lines 
in concrete mm-hmm. or defined lines between an organic inert material and a complex compound um, because you can obviously see the deviation in color from the sky with those. Like a sidewalk and the red pea gravel line next to it. it yeah. Something like that. And I know exactly what project you're thinking of when you said that. <laughs> um, but yes, and the reason that we do that is in case, number one, anyone trips or walks over your pad, you can move your pad back to where it was and know exactly where it was without causing uh, too many issues. Because as many of you know, if you move the landing pad throughout the mapping process, you can't use the GCP because you're just adding error into the project. So the third reason why you always lay them out is kind of like, well, you always lay them out and in this particular way because. So one other thing I wanted to say though is that what if the client asked you to go back, right? And you had put out GCPs, but what if the site changed and you can't put GCPs there anymore? This is why I ask you guys to attend Mm. my mapping class because I go to a level of detail that I don't think most people could even listen to on a podcast. And here's one example. I always tell people that whenever you mark your GCPs, you should always add natural markers as GCP. So those natural markers don't have targets, right? So think of like a perfect little X where the sidewalk meets the grass and meets the gravel, right? So you have three different materials that are showcasing a nice little X, right? Well, if I mark that X with GPS and my client now wants a time lapse of this map, well, I marked that natural marker. I know what it is. I don't even need to go back out there and remark it because I already have the points. So I can literally go refly the entire project and use the GCPs, the GCP points that I already collected. Hmm. And now I can create another newer, more updated version of that precision map. Very cool. And so like, that's why in a lot of our projects, we put natural markers in our GCP marking exercises to say like, okay, here's a GCP marker. Okay. Let's talk about camera orientation, right? Because you mm-hmm. think you're marking this side of the of the sidewalk, but wait a minute, which way is our drone facing? Yeah. Right. So there's a couple of variables that go into that, and I talk about that in the class. But I know that this has saved at least four or five people's projects. So that alone is worth talking about it in class to me. Yeah. So, absolutely. Um, it's a big deal. And the last thing that I wanted to say is, please be very careful when you buy a drone that says that it is RTK, because there are a lot of drones out there that are technically RTK, but they're technically not RTK. And here's what I mean, like great example, M600 Pro, they used to call it the M600 Pro RTK, and now they don't, right? That's because it's not actually RTK. Mm. All it is is a more accurate version of GPS or uh, differential GPS is what we call it. And all it does is telling the flight controller more accurate information to make Oh, more accurate uh, flight corrections and positions. Okay. That's what it really comes down to. And even with the new M300, uh, it is advertised as RTK. So be careful what you buy out there, ladies and gentlemen, and make sure that when it's RTK, it's actually getting corrections. That's going to do it for us today. Yeah. My name is Paul. My name is Rob. This is Ask Dronium. We believe that videos, images, words, and sounds have the absolute power to inform, inspire, and entertain. We reject indecision, confusion, and vanity, for they work against the community. We are united under the virtues of safety and knowledge. We are a training community of learners and teachers 
who encourage and energize each other to achieve greatness. We are pilots, videographers, photographers, freelancers, business owners, enthusiasts, experts, and apprentices. We are creators. We are the Drone Youth.